What's up, Dreadheads? I'm John, and welcome to another episode of Talking Dread. And on this episode, I have the insane privilege. Uh, any of you guys who know about horror you know, or this show, we talk about this fella a lot. It is the one and only Bill O'Burst Jr. Bill, say hey to the Dreadheads. Thanks for being here. Dreadheads. Live forever. I love what you do. And I love I, I, I love that you guys, and by which I mean John, you, your entire extended audience, you're not afraid to deal with the elephant in the room of life, which is death, our demise. <laughs> what I love about horror is we get to play with it, right? Right. And I tell a lot of people, because clearly we are not a show for everybody, and we completely understand and accept that, but there are people who have to work through sensitive subject matter with humor uh, and with taking it lightly, because as I always <laughs> say, you can't take it too serious. None of us get out of this alive. That's right. So like, and so what we do in film and TV and uh, graphic novels or video games or whatever the, the format, it, it's a rehearsal because <laughs> it makes it, a, it makes it a little less scary. Right. So it does. when death comes, I can say, Ah, you old son of a bitch. <laughs> it gives, I've, it gives, I've seen you before. Right. It, well, it makes the intangible tangible. That's you know, right. it's, it's it, nobody's prepared for it. And we don't know really what happens. Nobody that we, that we can verifiably prove is, is able to tell us exactly what it's like. So it's at least nice to get to see a smorgasbord of possibilities. And, you know, sometimes too, you know, we deal with a lot of true crime, serial killers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it, you know, it it, it it does look at the macabre side, but it's already history. There's nothing we can do to change it. Right. Uh, so, you know, but it's there. It's and rather than, you know, I would rather laugh than cry. So <laughs> and, and so something you said just a minute ago, come here, because I always wonder, OK, so what if somebody was able to come from the other side and said, hey, it's great over here. A, would we believe them? B, would we just be jealous and say, well, you know what? Screw you. You get to be over there and I'm here. Right. Or would, see, would we just pick it apart and say, oh, it's fake? I don't think there's any kind of proof of what happens after life that we would ever accept. No. And especially in the age, you know, where we're dealing with AI chatbots and deep fake videos oh, yeah. and things of like that. Uh, you know, any, whether you whether it's the paranormal, whether it's cryptids, whether it's UFOs, any of that stuff. We're just going to get less and less likely to believe anything to where everything's yeah. going to have to be a subject matter of faith. And Do you believe guess, it or not? So, you know, these graveyard recordings and things. So let's say you can go to a graveyard and you catch a recording of, of some dead folk. Okay. Do they know any more than I do? <laughs> can they tell the future? Then really, I mean, I'm sorry that you're dead, but what is the value in our conversation? Because you don't know anything more than I do. So right. all I can say is, I'm sorry you're dead, and I guess maybe I'll see you one day. It's like, what is the value of all of this seeking the beyond? What the hell are they going to tell us? Yeah, I mean, there is probably really no information to be gained. I think <laughs> ultimately it comes down to we want to, all of us are worried about if death is the end. You know, whether it's whether it's religion that, that makes you feel better about it, or if it's, you know, uh, EVP recordings of, of supposed ghosts. We just want to. We just want to feel. Well, we want to ultimately know that this isn't the end, and well, we will we, turn to anything to find it out. So, if it's sleep, then it's fine, right? Because when we go to sleep, 
when we don't worry when we wake up, oh, I was asleep. If it's right. sleep, it's sleep. And if it's something else, then bonus. That's the way yeah. I think it. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe life is actually but a dream and we are sleeping from a previous death. And all of these, what we think are are these lives we're existing are just dreams we're living in. Uh, cause I remember dreams where it feels like, I mean, I was, I would be in the moment and I clearly know what's happening, but you could tell that the world I'm in also has a backstory. It yes. has to, because I'll recognize things within the dream that are no part of my real life. So who, who knows, man? And that's, what's fun. That's that It can be fun. You can either yes. get really afraid of it or you can have a lot of fun with it. And that's what we try to do. But let's, let's get on to, I wanted to give you a, a much better introduction than that. Now, Bill ah. is. I know, I know. He's a, if you've seen him in any of the horror stuff that he's done, this is the nicest guy I've ever talked to. And that's no, that's no knock at anybody else. Uh, but, and he very humble, but I'm going to go ahead and, and get on the soapbox for him. He is an award-winning actor, including an Emmy. Uh, and he was the first recipient of the Lon Chaney Award for Outstanding Achievement in Independent Horror Films. Uh, he's also a fantastic podcast host outside of all of his acting. Um, and the show is called Gothic Good Night. Uh, and he's also a physical artist, Bill. I didn't know this, that you actually did that until doing some more research and getting on your website and stuff like that, that you actually create your own, I hate to use the term physical art, but you know, you make physical art as well. Um, and all of that you can find at BillOBurst.com, which again is a great website. There's also tons of links to several short films that are on there that you've done and stuff like that. So all the links will be in the show notes below, whether you're checking this out on the podcast platforms or YouTube and BitChute. Um, so I, I wanted to kick this off because I feel like a lot of people, you've been in a ton of stuff. You've been in a ton of movies. You've been on a lot of TV. I feel like people will would recognize you, but not know who you are. That's correct. And, yeah. And, and you know, so I, one of the first things I had to, I had to be a, a little point of pride here. I, I don't know why we don't have you on a sign somewhere in our state, but you are actually from the same state as me, which is South Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. For whatever that may mean to whoever may hear that. Um, so it, tell us a little bit, because I think a lot of people, we see so many actors, no matter what, what scale of celebrity they're at, you know, they usually come from New York or LA or a lot bigger cities, you know, where you think of that. So as a South Carolina boy myself, what was it like for you growing up? I think you're from Georgetown originally. Yeah. Um, Pauly's Island, Georgetown. Okay. Area. Gotcha. And um, I have, still have a house in Pauly's Island, one of the most beautiful undiscovered spots on earth. Yes. What was it like growing up in South Carolina? It was magical because uh, when I grew up, everything was not known. And so you had lots of hidden secret places that have been left alone for a hundred years because after the civil war, the South had decimated with poverty. Yeah. So um, you had like entire, in my area was rice plantations, massive old oaks, John, and just like, you know, um, overgrown ruins of houses that had fallen in. So my grandma, she loved to fish and she wanted to go in these old ponds because they had the big ass fish. Right. <laughs> so so um, she's a single lady, unlucky in love, been married three times. So every one of these old plantations had an old caretaker who took care of it for the absentee family who lived up north. And that's the man that had the keys. So she'd take them a little bottle of wine or whatever, you know, <laughs> and she'd tell them, hey, you know, you sure looking good today and do a little flirt. <laughs> and so we got back on all of these old plantations. So that and that's where I heard all the old ghost stories. That's where I learned that um, the older the tree is, the more it has to say to you, but you have to sit under it and be quiet. 
mm-hmm. and just wait for it to speak to you. It was really a magical. I mean, we were poor, but I didn't know it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. Oh, and a lot of people, if they don't know, I mean, South Carolina is one of the best states in the entire country, especially if you're into paranormal and the historical and things of that, and especially that spot, Charleston, uh, the Savannah area, like it, you said, Pauly's Island, Georgetown, all of that. And it's because it's suffused with tragedy and death. It's in the trees, it's in the air, it's in the molecules. So I spent a lot of time in the woods. My favorite thing to do was walking in the woods. And it's the thing I miss most now when I'm in an urban environment. I get freaky because I, I need trees and I need woods. And I need to feel the ground under my feet. And um, I need to touch natural stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean... I've, I've, you know, Charlotte is the closest uh, major metro area to where I'm at currently. Uh, and I mean, I, I like it. There's moments where I'm there and I, you know, there's stuff that the city offers that I enjoy, but then, you know, I'll go and visit like, you know, the, the area where I live is, uh, is not quite as, um, as developed, uh, or that, like where my father, he lives about an hour from me and, and going there. And yeah, you know, the, the, seeing the trees that I remember being there from the entire time growing up and, you know, we have a big wooded area and I remember, you know, I'll see remnants of trails and stuff that we used to cut through them when we were playing and stuff like that. So yeah. I can definitely uh, relate to that. So with with all of that happening, you know, getting to a lot of the the old folklore and horror tales, would you say that like you were a fan of horror before you really started thinking about going into acting or anything like that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Early fan of horror because I was different in just about every way that a uh, kid could be different. I was physically different. Um, I, you know, I had all this early scarring from acne. Then I got in a bicycle accident that ripped off a lot of my face and it had to be stitched on. And um, as and I made straight A's and, because I really liked to read. And so I was the weird ostracized kid. Right. And um, I found monsters through Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Nice. And the monsters became my friends. And I was like, you guys are like me. And I really like you. And I'm rooting. I rooted for the wolf. <laughs> I was like, yes, kill them because they're beautiful and they think they're all that. Tear right. them apart. Right. Um, they, they, yeah. They, they, they kind of made them into the monsters, you know, like the, yeah, the, the dejection yeah. that they felt is ultimately could be said was what made them act the way they did. Right. So that's why I, I loved horror early. And to have grown up and have any small part in this genre is it it blows me away. It really does. Oh, yeah. We me and my wife actually got the opportunity. Uh, a good friend uh, that we met actually through this podcast. He's a director, Ricky Glore, and um, he was needing some final financing for a film. And uh, he was doing it through Kickstarter. And that's how I found out about him. And that's how I met him and everything. And we still talk to this day. He's going to be on a future episode. And uh, he was looking for like a donation to get like a producer credit and wanted to, uh, you know, get you on screen. So I was like, okay, me and my wife are huge horror fans. This is bucket list. I was like, I will absolutely, I don't care if five people see it to me as a fan of horror, I can always say, and I have a credit on IMDB to prove it that I've been in a horror movie. And so I started talking to him and I was like, Hey, and he was like, yeah, it's going to be a post credit thing. And I was like, well, Hey man, we do a podcast out. He was like, yeah, we, we want the killer to set it up for a sequel. I was like, well, Hey, what if we're doing a podcast and I'm ripping on him and I'm talking all kinds of stuff and he just murders us in the studio. And he was like, give me a couple of days and they come back with a script and everything like that. So I agree with that. And that's, that's that you with horror, anybody who's performing horror, you do not get into it for the money. There is money to be made. There's successful careers to be had, 
but it is definitely something you have to love doing. Did did you start out doing like small films or stuff like that? Or did you do local theater? Because I know you have a ton of theater experience as well uh, in your career. Theater first, because I had no idea that, you know, I could ever actually do anything on film. I had no experience, but I started acting on stage early. So for the first 14 years of my life, I did strictly stage. And that was um, Shakespeare, uh, historical dramas. I love history. Um, a lot you've of portrayed that, some famous people. Uh, you've played Lincoln. I think you've played Kennedy. Uh, and yeah. I believe you did like a one man rendition of A Christmas Carol. That's right. Yeah. I love literature. I love the feel of old language on my tongue. So yeah. for the first 14 years, I did that. And then I just kind of stumbled through because I was doing historical characters. I got cast as um, William Sherman, General Sherman from the mm-hmm. Civil War for the History Channel for a docudrama they did called Sherman's March. Gotcha. And that, that, got me my agent in my first agent in Los Angeles. And uh, so she said, oh, we'll we'll market you as, a, you know, for the, you know, sophisticated historical drama. But then the writer strike happened. And after that, reality TV came and there was no more. Right. <laughs> it came back. And, yeah. And so that's how I started doing horror and discovered that apparently I'm frightening. <laughs> well, I mean, you've you've you you have a persona and and it comes through. I cannot rave enough about Gothic Goodnight. It is and now are are those original stories or you're just reading? Are you you wrote those as well? Some of them I wrote and some of them are fictional pieces, but all the the wrap around like the uh, the the show for those who haven't listened and you can find it by Gothic Goodnight. I don't make any money off of it. I just do it cuz I love. I do an episode whenever I have time and I feel it. Um, it's meant to put you to sleep. And so the, uh, the the whole little elaborate wraparound, if it's an old librarian in an old library, and he's lulling you to sleep with his tail. I write all of those out. Right. And then I use usually a short piece of fiction that either I wrote or an existing one from some classic like Poe or something like that. Uh, yeah, and, and, and it's crazy because yeah. like you, 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 and that's where I say anything because I, I think you can even tell in your cadence when you're doing that, like you would have been a great, like, old school radio horror where no one saw what you look like. It's, 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 it's in your blood. Like it's, it, you can, you can tell it's all the way through to your marrow because I don't see you, but just the, the, the tone that you project in that show, it does. It gives a very Poe Lovecraftian old school vibe. Like you almost stayed up late listening to the radio before there were TVs and there were shows on that your parents didn't want you to listen to. You bless me by saying that because with the inspiration for it, when I was a kid, um, we had AM radio was still a thing and AM signals, they, they bounce, they skip. And so it's because you could pick it up on skip. So I picked yeah. up state listening under the covers in South Carolina. I pick up stations from Chicago and wherever. And back in the day, they were still playing the old um, reruns of old radio serials. And so I'd hear like suspense and lights out. And, oh, wow. Yeah, that was kind of the vibe. Thank you for that. Oh, well, no, it's 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 true. And like I said, that's why I've, I've been really obsessed with it, because when I first put it on, I was like, I, I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, oh, my God, I was like, and of course, you it makes sense with with you having almost a decade and a half of theater before ever getting even on screen, because I mean, that's I think a lot of people who really enjoy classical actors, particularly those that are British, most of them come up through the theater scene. And it's very good training because. You don't get to say cut and reshoot when you're in front of a live audience. You have to you have to be able to read a script, memorize it, remember your points and your cues and all of that stuff. And 
to you you have to feel the room and you have to feel the audience and every audience is different you're not giving a performance it's not really about you you are uh, um, uh, you are seducing them um, you are engaging with them you're kind of like you're on a, a weird blind date right. <laughs> you can't just come out with some idea how it's going to go right because somebody coughing at the wrong moment can make the whole room different and then your performance you had planned doesn't work anymore and and it's just a really delicate thing you just have to you've got to feel it it's very instinctual you can't think this is about me you're there to to serve them but yet at the end they'll clap for you but they're also clapping for themselves i think because they went on this weird emotional experience with a total stranger it's very it's it's intimate It is. It's it's everyone's vibration in a room. Yeah, you know, that's, they, they, that's what I was trying to say is that we, yeah. I think we put out some type of, what do you think that is? Like, you can feel when somebody's next to you and you turn around and there's somebody there. What is that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I believe a lot in like vibrational energy. Uh, I think uh, if if there is any kind of an afterlife, I think that it probably exists layers upon layers, dimensions upon dimensions. I think that if there for instance, if there's anything paranormal, if we do catch a voice, I don't think that it's necessarily someone dead. I think for a second, there was a hole into the next side of something and something leaked over um, or something of that nature. So I, I you know, I, I, I grew up in the church. I'm, I'm not religious at all anymore. Now, it doesn't bother me as long as it's making you be a good person, believe whatever you want to believe. But I do know, you know, from having in my later life gotten out of church tried getting back in and stuff like that. There is feeling there. There absolutely is. If you allow yourself to, and like I said, the ultimate thing I can, I can imagine is that it's just all of our energy. We're all at the same thing. For instance, if you're in a theater, your whole goal is to put on a good show for people. You want to entertain them. They're there to be entertained. So you have potentially hundreds or thousands of people that are all seeking the same thing and putting their energy towards the same thing. I think it almost makes it almost like a beacon. You know, you're, you're, you're everybody, you know, like if you're in church, if you, and I grew up, you know, real Southern Baptist, you know, where people ran aisles and hooped and hollered and, you know, stuff like that. But if everyone's in there for the same goal, no matter what anyone outside of that building may think, they're going to feel something. Is it something supernatural or are they just feeling each other? That we don't know, but it it is real. I you know when people sit there and look at it, I'm like, yeah, it looks silly, man. But like, go in there and 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 get in with it and tell me like you you will feel something. You you will feel a genuine something, a tingle, a vibration. Something different happens. Maybe when we're feeling one another, that is supernatural. It's oh like, yeah, you know it's like which came first. There's you know genetically there are, there the God gene idea. There, there are uh, sections of the brain that can be stimulated to give you a, a sort of mystical experience, mm-hmm. which you can also feel through a religious service or through um, the right dose of, um, you know, a mushroom. Right. Um, and so, like, the initial thought is, oh, well, that, that means that none of that's real. It's just the brain. But maybe that's why that part of the brain is there, is, is to be activated. I don't know. Yeah, and it's and it could be a remnant of something that we used to be able to do naturally. Maybe we used to not need a medicine or a ceremony. I doubt that because if you delve into human history, 
you know, ceremonies and rituals were the foundation for organized religion. Yes. Um, and even, you know, the, and they found old pottery that had trace elements of, you know, the, the, the active ingredients that are in mushrooms and an ayahuasca in it. So clearly yeah. our ancestors were doing it too. And I think that, you know, they were probably, they, it, they probably felt like that's where, that's how they talked to the gods. That's how they saw something. So, you know, what you just said, maybe it was something that we could do that we can't do anymore. That's so beautiful because that's the metaphor of the Garden of Eden and the fall. The metaphor of we, we maybe we have this sort of distant collective memory that we once were more than we are. And that's part of the uh, underlying tragedy of our existence. And I would go a step further and say that joy, I believe, only exists as a counterpoint to the tragedy. You, uh, the idea of, oh, I'm going to live my best life. I'm going to have a happy life. Unless you are aware of the underlying tragedy of life, I don't think there's any happiness to be had because the, the joy is a counterpart to that to say, even though my existence seems futile and I will die, I'm still going to seek contentment and love, even though. Right. You know? Yeah. In spite of, in the face of what is going to happen. I mean, you could take it too. I mean, you live out in LA. You, you deal with Hollywood. We, you know, we always sit there and think when there's, you know, and, and any suicide is a terrible thing. But a lot of the times when we see very high-end celebrities that, that, you know, have killed themselves, that, you know, take someone like Robin Williams, for instance, yes. you know, he was, he was massively famous for so much of his life. What we normal people worry about, finance, uh, you know, all these common things, he had millions upon millions of dollars. He didn't have to have that. Uh, but there's still a there's still a struggle there. I think that it, you're right. We, we will always, you can give us everything we want. We're always going to find a negative to it, and maybe that is a a a, uh, a like some way that we're trying to also get joy out of it. Like nobody wants to be too happy, you know. You think about some of the some of the most drugged up people in the world are yes. the millionaires and billionaires. They have nothing to worry about. There's been a lot of things easy for them, and it's almost like you have to. Even, if you can't physically have a struggle, your mind will make one for you. That is profound, my friend. I've never heard that before, but now I'm going to be chewing on it. <laughs> if you have a struggle, your mind will make one for you. I mean, that's the only thing we can figure, you know? Hmm. You know, as, and I don't say much profound, so everybody go ahead and timestamp this video because it'll probably be sometime this year, next year by the time I say something this profound or anything else I do. So now you, 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 you get your break uh, in Sherman's March. And you're, you're going to be going for these historical dramas and things like that. The writer's strike happens. What did, did, so did, did, did horror choose you or did you choose horror when all of that happened? Well, I must say that you were so profound. You made me blow up my candle <laughs> with, with, with a puff of my nostrils. Feel free did if I, you need to relight it real quick. It's no worries. No. We don't, we don't edit this. Our, our fans like this kind of stuff. So. No, I like to let things go. That's part of theater training too. If you walk you through go. the door and the door door handle comes off in your hand, you better have something to say. Yeah, um, well, I did I, a little improv training, so I you're supposed to always say yes and. So, yes and. yep. Did I choose horror or did horror choose me? Uh, I would like to think that it chose me because I loved it for personal reasons, not because I thought, um, you know, oh, I'll ever make a career out of this. I loved it because I needed those monsters at that time in my life. And then later on, when I was out of work in L.A. and I couldn't get the kind of work my agent thought I could get, and I thought about horror and I started going out for those parts 
and there it was that thing from my childhood so i yeah i think sort of it shows me that's my right. romantic ideal anyway at least a very cyclic nature you know i mean you you were you were you were born into a an area that allowed for a lot of horror and then it there it was waiting for you when you needed it again just like how you needed to get out of the house and go explore those places when you needed something else boom there's horror and i did i did need horror at that point in my career and i i love it and i think i still need it because the celebrity culture and i mean i've only touched the very hem of that garment you know but i've had enough of it enough of it to know that it's poison uh, yeah. it's 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 bad poison but it tastes really really good <laughs> yeah um, it tastes so sweet going down but it's highly highly poison it's cancerous yeah and so i need horror because horror reminds me of the ultimate futility of trying to escape death and so having my mind set in that world has really helped me to see celebrity culture when i realized this is going to kill me if i don't stop trying to climb this will kill me that was because of so many films i'd watched and some i'd been in and so many so much gothic literature i'd read i recognized death yeah so yeah i think it chose me and i needed it and i still do and i thank god for it well i mean so it's got to be kind of cathartic because you get to play a lot of villains yeah. So you get to where where when I got my my one like time in there, I got to be killed. That's what I had always wanted to do. Um, and if I never do another one, that's fine. But is there something cathartic? Because you you to me seem like a very you know level headed. You, you're you're very based in you know the the older forms of the art, theater, literature, and stuff like that. Is there something very cathartic about being able to simulate taking someone else's life? Oh, highly. Being, yeah. Okay. I, all right. Highly. I was like, I hope that doesn't offend him, but that is, that is, there's got to be something about doing that. Highly. And it's not, um, you know, I should say, oh, it's not pleasant. And I always feel bad afterwards. That's not true. That's a lie. Right. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The truth, <laughs> which may also be from the pit of hell, <laughs> is that it feels really good, John. Um, yeah, enacting these stories where uh, my type of character is usually like a wounded, weird monster type of guy, a human being who's been made into something weird and dark by life or other people's treatment. And then he finally gets, he's always going to be killed at the end. That's coming. Right. But he, he gets to have power. Right. And that's that moment of seizing of power, of having someone. I do a lot of physical proximity, um, like um, having the other actor who's being threatened by my character really close, like right here. Yeah. And and dropping the tone of voice and just being close to you. (laughs) Just touching you gently, which is tremendously frightening to think of someone doing it to me and to get to do it to somebody else. Right. Yeah. You, no, and, you do. Yeah, well, and that's what I always try to say because we you know we talk about serial killers, and I, I that's one thing I try to tell, remind everyone: these are people; they're nothing special. This could be any one of us. And honestly, it, 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 without, I mean, there's a few of them that that have a select uh, a series of circumstances that clearly 
there was almost no way that they were not going to end up being the way they are. But at the same token, we all have, we all know people, we all have our own past. I can sit there and look at certain things in their history and be like, wow, that happened to me. I felt like that. How close was I to being the next one? There's nothing special about these people other than the fact that they're people. So every single one of us can be Bundy. We can be Dahmer. We can be Gacy. Every single one of us have everything that we need within our skin to do that. The only difference is do we not? That is such a good point. Hitler had a dog. Yeah. And. And love the dog. And there are pictures of Hitler petting the dog. I love dogs. Right. Uh, and, if, if, and, you know, I could go further with the, with the analogy that, of, of his life and the things that he went through. Very commonplace things. Very yeah. hard-ass father. Rejected from the career he wanted. Nobody gave him respect. All of those things. No, I think we're all just one step away. And we've all had fantasies about killing other people. You we are lie. right. We lie if we say we haven't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if we don't mean to, I mean, I'll just sit there sometimes during the day. And I mean, just the the worst thought will run through my head, even untriggered. And I literally will have to physically shake my head and go, where the fuck did that come from? Yeah, that's that's not me. I don't know if that was old me again. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe this is part of the dream that real John's having and it's stuff's leaking over. Who knows? But we've all had those moments. So now you get into the nature of, of evil. Oh, and and the, the old biblical metaphor is uh, evil is a lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. Yep. And and I love that idea of like the lion of evil just dropping into John's head for a moment in the middle of a day and like, wow. You're yeah. like, whoa, what? Yeah. What was that? And then oh, evil, oh, yeah. like, you know, evil drifts off and walks around to stalk someplace else. Um, I'm, 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 creating a new stage show about satan which i'm rehearsing now and so my mind is really into this personification of evil thing i i I, so i put a post on facebook and um about this satanic show and i said you know i'm writing this show about the depiction of satan in scripture and in stories Mm -hmm. and so i want to know do you guys think that evil is just human choices or is there something else and everybody as much as they want to say they all would hedge it. They would say, yeah. oh, I think 99% of it is just human choices and things we do. But there's something in the extreme cases. They could not accept that every every little bit of evil was generated by humanity. That they're, they're, And everybody holds out the slight possibility that there's something out there that's evil. Yeah, that I we're not really- in control of our own terrible actions. And we are. Yeah. We are. I mean, we can we could talk all day about, you know, the brain chemistry and things of that nature. But again, for everybody who had a certain chemical imbalance or a certain upbringing that decided to lash out at others, there's 10 others who had the exact same thing that never did. So at some point, they they numbed themselves to the choice of doing it, which is why you see a lot of, you know, you know, with them hurting animals and things of that where they build up to it and stuff like that. That's a very big sign as well. So, so you've been doing a lot of horror. I think that most people, I mean, a lot of our audience are going to know you from the different movies, but probably one of your most high profile things was uh, your, how many, you were on Criminal Minds. Was it only once? Yeah, I was recurring for one season on Criminal Minds. There we go. There we go. Okay. So yeah, it was a recurring thing on that. Um, So what was that like? I mean, from someone who was doing stage and then, you know, 
kind of, you know, I, I'm guessing that would be where you're sitting there talking about touching the hem of celebrity because that was certainly probably in the public's mind, your, your biggest moment right there. Was that what you were referring to when you were saying, Hey, I was, I was, I was starting to tick it up. And that's when I started to realize some things. Right after Criminal Minds, because the, the Emmy came first, and then Criminal Minds, and then there were, uh, that got me into bigger auditions. Um, worked with Jamie Lee Curtis on Scream Queens. Yes, and yeah. So then you start to get a hunger for more, 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 more. You get into you get into red, red carpets, and then you're like, wait, there are red carpets I can't get into. How do I get into those red carpets? Yeah, um, and so forth and so forth. But yeah. That's doing network television, especially back when I did that, was still like, you know, the gold standard as far as people were concerned. And and it was really fun to do because the character, everybody on that particular episode, Breen Fraser, the producer who wrote it, Matthew Gray Gubler, who was the director, um, and Christopher Allen Nelson was the makeup artist. We were all fans of old school horror, and we meant that episode to be a um uh, an homage to old school horror and so it was wonderful to be involved in yeah so um i mean yeah you bring up a point like there's there is no satisfying again there's you can't satisfy humans like everyone likes to think we're not greedy some of us aren't because we've never like you said it, it, it tasted very good a lot of us will never have even a taste of it and the taste is usually the problem you don't know what you've got until you've had it. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of us can be like, oh, it's real easy. How can that guy be well, worth a billion dollars and want another billion? Well, you've never yeah, had if, a billion dollars. It's it, if, You don't get it and you're good. If you feed your baby Coca-Cola right off the bat, <laughs> you think they're ever going to want anything else? No. Right. No, no. So I, yeah, so I completely get that. Um, so I, I guess let's talk a little bit because I do want to talk a little bit more um maybe a little bit more about, about your physical art before we close it out. So t- let everybody know kind of now, like what's, what's some of the, 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 your favorite movies you've been in. What's, what's some stuff coming up that you're very excited about. The, um, the one that was the most difficult for me to play was Papa Corn and circus of the dead. Yeah. It's, I, one my, it's one of my favorites, but I don't say that because um, I loved playing the role i didn't it was really hard and it stuck in my mind and it screwed me up um temporarily but yeah so circus of the dead has to be up there well let's hold there for a second because we actually we we did a review of that that's how i came to know you my my brother jay just randomly watched the movie one day and he was like you have to watch this movie he was like this guy who plays papa corn is one of the most intense things i've ever seen and it was crazy because honestly, you know, every that movie tries to play up on the fear of chorophobia, people's phobias of clowns and stuff like that. Honestly, the fact that you were a clown made it not as intense. Honestly, like I was happy you had on clown makeup because if that was just a normal guy doing that, that movie would be at the top of almost every disturbed list I can think of because there's something a, you you played it way less of a circus clown and more vaudevillian, uh, you know, the, the older school way, which was perfect. And it fit the character right. But that's, you know, when you were approaching the camera a minute and talking about those were some of the most terrifying scenes in that movie, because honestly, the clown makeup was almost like a buffer. I could focus on that because if you would have just been normal guy acting that way to those people. 
that would have been terrifying, man. And I remember sitting there the whole time. I was like, this, I don't, I was like, I don't know how this guy did this. Like, oh my God, this is fucking insane. Papa Corn yielded. We were talking earlier about, you know, if you, um, I can't remember the context, but you said something about if you give in, uh, you know, if you give in to a thing, it gets easier. Ah, oh, with the serial killers. You were talking yes, about the yes. Papa Corn yielded. And then he yielded again. And then he fully surrendered. And he can't go back. He's fully, <laughs> fully there. Um, you, we could make it easy by saying, oh, he's fully in his mental illness. I don't think so. I think Papa Corn is fully into the dark potential of humanity. He's done away with any idea of uh, morality, any idea of empathy, any idea of mutual feeling or responsibility. It's all gone. Yeah. And he's but very comfortable he, with it being gone. Oh, he's very. He does not miss it at all. This is no, now, he now he's it. him. Yeah. Yeah. Now and he so gets to be his you, real self. If you meet him, you are doomed. And um, that's the frightening thing is that there's no negotiation. There's no possibility that, oh, maybe this will. No, this will not end well. And right. You're going to die and he's going to enjoy it. And then you're going to be so insignificant that he probably won't even remember. He'll just no, it's, right on to the next playing with his little curl to make sure it's perfect. Because that's <laughs> the most important thing for him is that spit curl. Yes. So, yeah. So that's why he was so horrifying to play. because. You, I don't like to phone it in. If you're going to do something, you have to do it right. So you have to be in that mindset. And um, yeah, I mean, people are like, oh, you know, why did Heath Ledger kill himself playing the Joker? You play one of those characters, man, you won't be asking that. Right. You got to be go, really yeah. grounded. You got to be really grounded to do it because it will play with you. Well, and you're very method. I've read that on a lot of different things, you will isolate yourself from others. You will purposefully not come out of character. Uh, you know, and things of that. Did you also do that on Circus of the Dead to the best that you could? I mean, did you try to live and breathe as that character the whole time as much as possible? I had to because I, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, it was darker than I'd ever done. And so I kept going to the director, Billy Pond, for these private, like, um, you know, you know, sermons of darkness where he would tell me, you know, it, it, it's sort of like and he, he created this character for his haunt. And having, you know, having him infuse that character in me. So, yeah, I had to stay in it. And I guess that's why I'll never forget playing that character because I was in it so long and so deep. And the first time I saw the movie, and Billy sent me a screener and it was raining that day in Los Angeles. And um, I watched the screener and I turned it off and I said, I have to go outside. And so I went outside, even though it was raining, and just walked because I needed to see trees and sky. I needed to be reminded that the world was not the world of Papa Corn. It, it, it affected me. Yeah, and I'll tell anybody, and then, and then we'll move on, because I, I mean, I re, I, I'm a big fan of Terrifier, love Art the Clown. Um, but there's something so different about Papa Corn, because with it, with Pennywise, you have the supernatural element there. Um, with art, there's the silence and that can be very scary too, but there's, there's, like I said, again, you could have taken the complete circus context away from the character of Papa Corn and still basically made the exact same movie. And it honestly would have been far darker. It would have been in my opinion. Um, so yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we don't speak highly enough of it. Anybody who's checking, I believe it's on Tubi and a few other streaming sites, You've got to check that out. But outside of that, what was some of the what were some of the more enjoyable uh, horror roles you got to play? Where you know you got to 
you got to, it was a character you really enjoyed embodying or something like that. Um, little things I've done, um, a film called ditch. It ended up being called ditch day massacre hmm. where I got to kill people with a fireman's ax. <laughs> um, that was really fun, John. If you've never, if you've ever swung a real fireman's ax, you will never want to swing a fake one again. Okay, as you said, now I've swung you know just a normal wood axe, but I mean, theirs are very the different. Big ass fireman's axe, and I got to swing the fireman's axe like to crunch through the door, and it was such a high that uh, <laughs> when they'd hand me then the prop one, I was like, I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my axe. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that that one was a lot of fun to do. Gregory Blair's Deadly Revisions was a lot of fun because he let me scream. I love my art house movies. So there's a movie called Dis. Um, the director is Adrian Corona. Okay. And we shot it in Mexico and it's his vision of hell. It's very, very dark and it's offensive, purposely offensive. It's really hard to watch. And then there's a movie called Coyote, an art house movie by a director named Trevor Yinger. And both of those were absolute misery to shoot. One case, it was a heat wave. In another case, we were hiking up mountains with cameras on burrows. They, <laughs> they were both really physically difficult, but looking back, they were really enjoyable because I'm really proud of the work. Right. So, uh, so yeah, have you got anything coming up? I know you were talking about your, 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 your play, uh, about Satan that you were doing. Are there any movie projects that you're in the throes of that you're really excited about? Yeah, I finished one that's in post-production is by Mark Savage. And Mark is one of my favorite directors I've done. Um, I did two with him, stress to kill. And then I did painkiller. And then this was something entirely different. It's called Killcraft. And he gave me, he, he wrote to me and he said, um, there's a character in the movie who's kind of a deformed hunchback named Poe. I reckon you might be able to do something with it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, yes, I really want to play that. So my guy is a hitman, but he's very, very strange. And I really love physicality. Mm. And so um, that was great to shoot. We finished that next week. I go out to California to do uh, one from Carl Lindbergh, which is um, the end of it's an end of the world kind of a thing. And it's called The Day They Arrive. They oh. mean aliens. Awesome. Um, and so that's going to be fun, too. Yeah. And then next year, I'm doing another one with Adrian Corona, who I shot this with in Mexico. And this one's called Dead Iris. And it's about the whole um, sweat lodge culture of Mexico. And okay. The ancient belief that through the sweat lodge, you might be able to contact the spirit. Yeah. of a dead loved one so it's this uh, young man who comes from america and he wants he, he meets this sweat lodge shaman who's me this expat guy who runs a sweat lodge and he wants to contact the spirit of his dead girlfriend and he contacts something but it ain't the spirit of his dead girl <laughs> all right definitely be on the lookout for that now real quick just because this was something i kind of discovered real late in my preparation for this, I finally noticed when I was on your website looking at stuff and doing research that you had a store. And I was like, oh, I literally thought of my brother. I was like, holy shit, if there's a shirt with Bill O'Burst's face on it, I'm going to get it going, get him one. Very pleasantly surprised that you make handmade art. Tell us a little bit about that. Is that something that you've always done? Is that something that you just kind of recently got into? I, I mean, they're very grim for anybody. He, he's they, There's horror through and through them, but there's you you lovingly seem to put a lot of antiquity into them to make them look aged, to make them yeah, clearly your style of doing things. Yes, I um I do love antiquity. And there are T-shirts there on Amazon. 
Okay. But, All yeah, right. There we go. My, my little stories, the, um, the handmade stuff, they're one of a kind. And, um, I, I love the feeling of, uh, like being up in an old, what I wanted to recreate was the idea of being up in an old attic, going through stuff, the old papers. And then you're like, the hell is this? And you they, open they, up they look like cursed box. objects. That's what they look like. That cursed objects in a movie yes, that like the movie would be centered it. around. And and so you're like you're up in your your aunt's attic and she was a recluse and you're you're like, oh, a little box, and you open it up thinking there's a ring in it, and there's a severed ear lying <laughs> on bloody moss, and you're like, What the hell? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for anybody that's a fan, a a fan of yours, that's that's awesome. But if you like, you know, just some macabre art. Very uh, unique, and as he said, one of a kind. And I believe you you sign everything. They come with like a certificate and and stuff like yeah, that. And so. it ain't next day shipping, John, because I gotta make them. And so it's like when I'm not working, I okay. do these things. So yeah, gotcha. there ain't okay. no, you know, it ain't Amazon Prime. Okay, so 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 even though you, because I I think that the 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 ear box you were talking about, I think you said you there was a limit of like 10, 20, 30 of them or something like that. Right. So. Yeah. So, but so you you make them once the order comes in. So there's so all of them are going to be unique. There's going to be little differences to every one of them. So yes, they will be one of a kind. So definitely check that out. That is BillOberst.com. Bill, real quick, uh, if anyone wants to, to, what's the best social media for you? I know I reached out to you on IG. You're like, yeah, let's do let's do it by email. Are you more of a Facebook guy, or you just not do much about social media? I do social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. but I, I work mostly through email because my eyes are really bad. And so I can blow up an email. <laughs> huge. But if I'm just, you know, on the phone, on the social media, the little, it's just so damn small. So yeah, people can write to me, billobersjunior at gmail.com. You can write a Facebook message, but oh my God, I hate them because you're on Facebook and people are like, hey, how are you? Like, uh, fine. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And I never know when it's done. Right. Yeah. Or if it's a scam, because yeah, yeah, people love know. to scam. So, but, but they can, but they can find you on Facebook, Twitter, and IG, and you'll post updates and stuff like that about what you're doing as well. I do, but I try not, I try not to be a whore about it. Yeah. No. Yeah. You, you, uh, when I, well, before I messaged you on there, I was like, I think he's still on IG. I don't know. Cause I think your last post was like a month or two before. But then yeah, as I scrolled I, down, I was like, well, this is his rhythm. That's fine. I get that then. Yeah, I'm like, no, I'm not going to like do, hey, here's me today. Hey, look, yeah. here's me again at 4 <laughs> o'clock. Oh, my God, look what I was doing at 5. Yeah, here's my dinner. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, the best place is uh, BillOBurst.com. And again, uh, you guys, make sure you get over there. The the short films on there are absolutely worth a watch, unlike a lot of stuff you're ever going to see. Uh, you can check out his art over there. He's got links to, uh, again, the Gothic Goodnight podcast. Definitely something to check out. It will. It is like listening to a live theater show, and it's very well done. Again, it's not a weekly or monthly thing. It's as it goes up there. But trust me, there's something oddly relaxing about Bill's voice reading this stuff, and it is very it, it i've drifted off to it several times so a lot of the times Woo-hoo! i'll just i'll just start at the first episode and set my timer on spotify for like an hour and before it reaches the end of an hour i'm out and i'm good and i'm having nice creepy dreams john i test them myself like when i finish one i'm going uh-huh. to do a new one next week i take it to bed with me and if it doesn't make me fall asleep then it's not right and i have to redo it 
Okay. Well, they, 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 well uh, they're working good. So we, maybe we, we must we must have the same fucked up sleep rhythm or something like that because it works very well for me. But again, that is BillOBurst.com. Go there. You can on his IMDb. You can check out all the movies he's done. I I tell anybody I and I'm not saying it's just because he's here. People can listen to the episodes leading up to it. Anything you can find this man in is worth a gander. He is not like most actors. Certainly not most in horror. Uh, and Bill, I. I just want to thank you very much. It's been an extreme honor to talk to you and a far more smart show than I usually put on. So thanks for some deep conversation with me and telling me I sounded smart. I don't hear that often. <laughs> you too. If I die, I would like this set atop my casket, like running on continuous loop. I like this interview so much. Oh, uh, well, thank you very much. And maybe we'll have you back on for something else once we have some more movies of yours coming out or something else to promote or something like that. <laughs> It was a pleasure. Thank you, John. Absolutely. All of y'all, thank y'all for watching. Make sure to visit spreadthedreadpodcast.com. You'll find links to our social media, our podcast platforms, our YouTube, our BitChute, as well as our store and our Patreon. Going to close it out, as always, by saying I'm John, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Shut up! Oh, my God, I don't care!